listening to the New Century Multiverse, Panther Soul. Chapter 7 City of the Living Kolonash At the gates of Bastarian, the largest gathering place for felines in the western continent, I am met with scents before scents. I can smell more varieties of food cooking behind terracotta walls than I can identify. The juices from wild chicken and gazelle are the first to dance upon my tongue as I pad across the bridge overhanging the jade-green moat of the roiling river Carabus. Spices encircle the meat smells, pricking at my nostrils with sharp yet delicate fragrances. I catch the crush of spineapples, the peel of trinanas. My ears pick out the individual crunch of a sunfruit between thirsty jaws as droplets spray into beams of light. But under the foods are the cats, hundreds of them close by and thousands behind them. Within the red-brown expanse of flat-topped clay buildings, myriad species living close together in defiance of our traditional tribal leanings. Every color of fur you could name, spots among stripes, among dots, among dappled freckles, manes and ruffs, tufts and whiskers styled to each individual. As tense and hypervigilant as the city of Leonidas makes me, with its lions approaching me on the street and aiming playful punches at my head, Bastarian welcomes me inside and then asks how many gems I have in my wallet. I make out the jangles of jewelry, the skitter of coin in paws, the flash of eyes upon me. I am definitely still known to some, and as I walk the streets, while I am not playfully attacked, I do hear the familiar call. Hey champ! Hey champ! I make a beeline west for the food quarter, salivating in anticipation. In a short while I am leaning against a wall, devouring a sizzling zebu leg glazed in a melonberry treacle. I could never have eaten this while I was training. The earthen pathway crunches under my paws as I stride through the less crowded streets in the scribe's wing. The great library of Mihos looms to the east, its uneven wooden halls lined with shelves of rolled and folded scrolls containing wisdom, teachings and folklore from the longest yesterdays. Some of my fondest memories are spent there, walking with Maximus as he presents the keepers with the seal of the city, granting even a lion permission to retrieve maps and verse from these cubby holes. He never did tell me how he acquired that. I suspect a smidgen of blackmail was involved. Yesterday we unfurl our borrowed documents onto the thick curved tabletops, smooth yet lumpy. Shafts of sunlight between the lamps fall upon the dark wood, illuminating our spoils. I drink in the majesty of the ages, the breadth of the land. My mind rushes through the past, hanging upon events of world-changing intensity 
I learn new languages as I read the verse, and the rhymes curl and mirror one another like twin vines intertwined. Maximus smiles at my thirst and slides me new clues to decode, and after that we are away, journeying together through strange new jungles, across plains and mountainsides, through tunnels and temples and forgotten places, returning with artifacts. It takes a lot for me to persuade him to part with some of these pieces, and selling them to lions like Dashington is a necessary sacrifice to fund this lifestyle. Some, I recall, have no perceived value, like the broken arrow from a clan of hyper-aggressive ocelots, the one that pierced my leg, seeds from the upside-down forest, and the feather of the blue griffin. They are items only we know the truth about, and some of them rest inside internal pockets of my leather traveling bag to bring me luck. I potently remember the day he presented me with the gift of a belt buckle from his collection, which he claimed was adorned with lettering from a faraway land, maybe another world entirely. I run a pad over the surface now. It certainly seems ancient. The flowing brush strokes of the enameled symbols come from the paw of someone who cared deeply about what they were writing, and that is more than enough for me. Yesterday we rest and reminisce upon our adventures, then set out again, and my life is wonderful. Then he is done, and I must walk those pathways alone. Today I enter the library, receive permission to traverse its stretches, and head straight for the section on the history of the Sumerian Great Tigers. Pouring through their imagery of artifacts, I find the one I remember from some yesterdays ago, displaying what is said to be the Cicerone. With a charcoal pencil and a fresh sheet of papyrus, I redraw in as much detail as I am able to the image I am looking at. Leaving the library, I head to Maximus's place. Tigers, panthers, cheetahs are talking to one another using rapport. As I strut, I can see this new language being employed all throughout the city. Elaborate gestures are pantomimed between the species, crossing the cultural and dialectic barriers. Occasionally, passers-by will chip in with a translation if it isn't going well and oftentimes the speakers will seclude themselves to prevent interference or elsewise speak more performatively, inviting assistance in making their point. My own mastery of this mutating communication skill is still growing, so when I see the gesturing, I hear garbled half-sense in my head. Shop is where I buy bottomed paw wraps. Where is Esteban? He ate the library? My mother is not far from... The moon? I desire a beard. The water is dirty. You peed in it. The monkey has constructed a house upon the branch. I leave them to their gibberish, but rapport has my curiosity. It reminds me of the ancient great tiger language of Miaulish. Once spoken the length of the land, and the basis for so many of our words. And even before that, the language of nascent, based entirely on smells. Such a structure of sending messages could be immensely useful. That is, if these mistranslation issues don't set off a feline war. 
Maximus's antiquities hold special meaning to me now, as a resting place and a retreat. I enjoy a nostalgic shiver as I poke my head in the door to see the stacked alcoves in the walls crammed with trinkets and keepsakes, ancient, worn, royal scratching posts, antediluvian jewelry with stones still bright, bold statues, their paint long faded, intricate little toys with tiny, aged threads fulfilling the final wishes of their maker that they be held together. I spot the effigy of the Gagaku high up beyond reach, arms spread wide with long black talons, orange robes hanging down beneath the fierce-eyed golden lion mask. That thing isn't selling anytime soon. Clearly nobody wants her ominous stare following them around their room. I shiver at the thoughts of yesterday. The buyers in this shop never had to meet her and definitely never stole from her. Ergo, they don't have to wake up every now and then startled and screaming and ready to fight a demon. But she has never appeared to me again on those nights. Perhaps she lost my scent. I return to today. The smell of pad prints and sighs hangs in this place. The once impressive red-maned lion sits, now speckled and streaked with salt and pepper reading spectacles balanced upon his nose. A rich purple robe enshrouds him as his claw delicately turns each page. The flare of my tattoos plays across his vision, and he inclines his head, sliding a leather cord into the book to hold his place. I'm looking for an ancient piece of crap, he mutters. The pair of us smile in unison. I can help you with that, I reply and stoop forward to lay my paw warmly upon his in greeting. This moment may be the highlight of my time here in Bastarian. Several wondrous things will surely happen, but this moment is special. It is golden. The old scoundrel raises to his hind paws and embraces me. <laughs> it has been too long, lad. He growls in Albies. What have you been doing with yourself? Grave robbing, mostly. I take extra care to denigrate the remains of the dead, too. I dig them out of their shrouds, carve curses upon their skulls, piss into their eye sockets, and destroy any traces of their names. That is quite literally the most appalling thing I have ever heard from someone in your profession. I learn from the best. But I said that, so when I tell you what I'm really doing, it won't sound as bad. What's that, then? I see you've been keeping things frozen in place here. I remark to divert conversation, backing away casually and gesturing around. This is still your quiet kingdom of bones. Cheeky whelp. I almost had a sale yesterday, but I managed to talk them out of it. Are you in the city long? Not sure. Depends whether I find what I'm looking for. Hmm. You can stay here. What are you looking for? At this I crane around and look past him into the living quarters back there. I examine from afar a green glass face with tiny bubbles trapped inside its polished walls. It's yesterday, when I'm in Maximus's old house. I hold up a carved stone sphere I have found within a gathered purple cloth upon his tabletop. I examine its many tiny plates and markings. He strides over, younger, taller, and snatches the ball from my strong paws. 
He cuffs me around the back of the head, calls me nosy, says the ball is delicate and stows it away... somewhere. I do not know. I am already into adulthood. Why treat me like a catten, or worse, a cub? I look at him now, somewhat disheveled and faded. It is only a few lion years later, but we have both changed substantially. I wonder how much of this is outside and how much within. I retrieve from my leather bag the drawing I made at the library and unfold the papyrus upon his countertop. Remember this one? His eye passes over the image. There are many spheres, balls, and orbs in antiquity. He brushes off. I've juggled countless bottles in my lifeline, so I have no idea which one you mean. Ah, I distinctly remember this cat riding the sun dragon on top here. Very popular imagery with desert nomads. I decide not to respond to this and let my gaze roam back to the living area behind him, searching for a hiding place. He clicks his pads angrily at me to win my attention. I'm sure what you remember is long sold. Envision the best case scenario if I'm right. At this his expression becomes grave, furtive. He crosses to the front door, closes and locks it, leaving us in silence as the contents of his shelves glow and shimmer quietly. I figured out why you didn't want me pawing at that thing. I say, my voice steady. I am not wheedling and I do not allow pressure into my tone. It is simply fact. I think it's the Cicerone of the Sumerians. I have suspected the same over the years. He admits slowly. Why don't you tell me? Why didn't we do something with it? Take it to someone who could say for sure. Even donate it to a museum. Oh, if I'd given it to those idiots, someone would have stolen it on the first day. So you do still have it. Smart arse. Yes, I have it. Then I ask again, why sit on it? And for so long? I harbored a yearning to travel out there across the unknown wilds, to find the Cloudbreaker for myself. When I met you, it was in the back of my mind for ages. I suppose the one last score. We were on top of the world. Why didn't we go then? Why not tell me? Because either the whole expedition would end in disappointment or disaster, or we would have found it. And that would have been the last treasure we would ever hunt together. I enjoyed our time too much, my dear boy. I was drunk upon those feelings. And when you had to give up the journeys... Yes, I kept it from you. I secretly told myself I might one day heal enough that I could manage this last magnificent expedition. There's still time. Come on, come with me now. I am old, Colo. I sat down here yesterday with vinegar in my veins, and now today I get up and everybody is younger. I wear a crown of gray fur, my leg is never healed, and my bones do not thank me for leaping. Tomorrow I shall be another relic upon these shelves. My mummified tail will be cautionary. I lean in and look upon him earnestly. You're not done yet. But if the Cicerone has no purpose but that which the adventurer can bestow, then you may as well let me take this trip on your behalf. So why not just give it to me? 
give it to you. <laughs> I may be old, but I am not a fool. I will trade it with you. Deal. You don't know the terms of the trade yet, you hot-blooded young prat with moths in his ears. Maximus warns, pottering to the back of the shop. He moves journals aside, roots around under the table, slides open a trapdoor to a storage chest, and finally retrieves a familiar faded purple cloth wrapped around a shape. He sets it down between us, and I respectfully do not reach out to uncover it. How much do you want? <sighs> the price is going to be a promise, he says quietly. I nod. I understand, I say somberly, hoping this will work. I won't let my lifeline slip away as I sit in place. I shall live the fullest and greatest of existences. That's not what I was going to ask you to promise. He fixes me with those eyes, blue as periwinkle. The search for the Cloudbreaker is one that has lasted eons. It has been lost and found and lost again. Travelers and explorers tell stories of this paw of Samar, just waiting to be found by the one with the mind, body, and spirit equal to the task. Those who seek it want for glory and power. What I wish for you to understand is simple. And what is that? He lays two pads across my chest. You have both already within here. Glory and power are like a well that is filled with the sweetest water. I want you to recognize when you have drunk enough. The room stirs with a ripple of energy that creeps the length of my spine. That moment will come tomorrow. Remember these words. Do not continue to drink from that well. It will drown you. And if the Cloudbreaker is in your grasp, then more than you can imagine will be dragged down to its demise. I hold his gaze. There is absolutely no way he is going to turn the keystone over if I tell him I am fetching this artifact for the wealthy lion we both used to sell to. But the promise he is drawing out of me feels important. I will not trample his words. I owe him that much. But that doesn't mean I cannot be cunning with how I make my declaration. I swear that the peak of my glory will be the turning point of my existence, I say, meaning every word, for the better. Maximus unwraps the cloth and inside I see the sandy stone sphere. All across its surface are small interlinking plates with shapes meticulously carved in them. Some of these form complete images, some merely look partial. The plates wind around the circumference of the ball with a thread-like texture, and as I pick it up from the table, I find that it is surprisingly heavy, with a strange shifting gravity, suggesting something inside. And just as I remember, the plates can be pushed in and moved around to form new symbols. But my paws are very big upon it. This was not intended for someone like me. It is going to take more of an expert than either of us to read, and night is drawing in. I suggest to my old friend that we head back to the library to see about decoding this. He agrees to shut up his shop early, and I carefully stow the sphere in my bag. Back in the street, two urchins are fighting, a magenta lynx and a young orange puma 
dive and roll, scratching at one another. I dodge past and pull Maximus on as he scolds them for making a scene outside his place of business. The puma cub spits an oath his way and kicks the lynx hard. She crashes into me and I roar at the puma for his aggression, flaring my tattoos fiercely. He screeches in fright and hurtles away around a corner as I lift the lynx up to her hind paws. There is a small green raptor that was also knocked to the ground. It scuttles up her arm and crawls onto her shoulder to watch me with beady black and yellow eyes. Are you alright? I ask. She winces and holds her side where he kicked her, but nods. What were you fighting about? I ask using rapport. She knows it and mimes hunger. I delve into my wallet to retrieve a coin. Get yourself something to eat. I command using a clumsy gesture I believe is correct. She beams at me and with a hop, skip and jump springs over and up to the rooftop of the rug shop facing Maximus's. Let's go. I say, nudging the old lion as we carefully check the locks on his door and the weighty stone shutters again. I straighten up and pat my back. It is then that I realize the flap is unbuckled and it is lighter than it was a moment ago. My heart jumps in my chest and my tattoos flare of their own accord as a spear of rage rips through me. I bound over to the rooftop and claw my way up to spot the lynx and the puma inspecting the sandy stone sphere in the fleeting rays of the sundown. She turns to see me and her amber eyes widen in surprise. Drop it! I bellow, bounding in. The pair spring away, tossing the ball back and forth between them as they run, cackling as I give chase, roaring in indignation. The cub stole what's mine and divided in two, but they just bit off more than they can chew. been listening to episode 7 of Panther Soul, City of the Living, written, edited and directed by Alexander Shaw, Colo Nash, performed by Alex Shaw, Maximus, performed by Spencer Lieb, City Folk, performed by Austin Wilden, Chris Finnick, Hannah Peregrine, Marty Huey, Joe G and Pascal Dooley. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Panther Soul theme, Zard, composed and performed by Jason Bradley Livesey of Shockwave Sound. Epic Percussion, composed and performed by Alex Koff. Arcadia and Whimsy Groove, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Desert Bazaar, The Strange, Medieval Library, Lawkeeper's Grove, Glimmerwood Grove, Royal Salon, and Shaman's Hollow, all ambients from Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely. Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, 
Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Helaz Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. For the maximum New Century Multiverse experience, you need to be checking out the podcast Through the Wind Door, where Greg Downing and Toby Skills Jungius talk us through each story like a book club and go into mind-boggling depth. I don't know about you, but I like having my mind boggled. They're currently up to Steamheart. And if you want to read the entirety of Panthersoul right now, it is available in a gorgeous paperback on Amazon.com. Alternately, you can support this project for $10 on Patreon and get access to all the New Century ebooks and audiobooks.